Amen. All right, Matthew, I don't even know if I told you where to go. I just told you to open your Bibles. Now, wherever you open your Bibles to, just put your finger down, start reading. Amen. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. It says, now. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, now. Now, do it mean, now. Now, when Jesus, I'm just kidding. Settle down. Let's, let's read the word. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, somebody say Bethlehem, of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem saying, saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. And when Herod the king had heard these Things He was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes, the people of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. What church can I really find Jesus in? And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people, Israel. This morning I want to talk about that little place called Bethlehem. But also I want to tie it in with a concept of biblical study, the law of first mention. So I'm going to talk to you about Bethlehem and the law of first mention. Amen. So if you're going to help me preach today, which I think we've got a pretty live wire in the house with all the people that are going to shout and dance as I'm preaching. But if you're going to help me preach today, I want you to first, I want you to help me pray. I want you to pray, God, speak to me. God, show me where I am. God, and just be honest with all sincerity where you are with God and say, God, just speak to me. Let your word come alive. Let it not just be, let it not just be just, just words on a page, but let it come alive. Let me experience it. Let me apply it to my life. Can you do that? Would you do that with me right now? Lift your hands, lift your voices together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we know that you are real. We know that you are here and your love is apparent through your sacrifice on Calvary. But I pray today, Lord, that that power that was released on Calvary, that power would let your word come alive. Let it be applicable. Let it change us. Let it transform us, oh God. Let us not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind. I pray let salvation come to us, Lord, in this house. And I pray it all in Jesus. Jesus name and everybody said in Jesus name name. high five your neighbor and be seated amen now I'm just gonna I'm gonna be honest with you can I just can I just talk to you for just a moment I was thinking when y'all were singing and dancing I think somebody did a somersault. 
I wasn't sure. But a scripture came to mind in Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 10. God was speaking to Jeremiah the prophet and he said, See, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms. He said to root out, to pull down, to destroy, and to throw down. And I thought we're fixing to throw down because it's biblical. So how many are ready to have a little bit of throw down church? Come on, clap your hands to the Lord and just lift your voice one more time. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. My God, because we got to work up an appetite because we got potluck after. Amen. The city of Bethlehem. It's called the Cradle of Christianity. It's located about six miles southwest of Jerusalem. Its climate, as opposed to our climate here in Grand Rapids, it's a typical Mediterranean climate, but milder because of its altitude and nearness to the sea. It's agriculture, if you were to study it, Bethlehem is surrounded by fertile fields, vineyards, fig and olive orchard. Bethlehem, meaning the house of bread, was also the renowned city of David. It's where the young, David, young David's hometown was, where the prophet Samuel anointed him to be king over Israel. That David that slayed that giant. Yeah, it was Bethlehem. It's most commonly known, though, as the birthplace of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It was in Bethlehem, in Micah 5, that the prophet foretold that Messiah would come from the small and seemingly insignificant town of Bethlehem. Somebody say Bethlehem. For the prophecy says in Micah 5, 2 through 5, I've got it in the NLT, the New Living Translation, because it just got a little bit of way of saying some things that I like it that way. So uh, the NLT says it like this in Micah, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. You're just a small town. You're no, no, not really anything to behold. You're just a small village amongst all the people. Yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past. He is the ancient of days, of course. He will come from you on my behalf. The people of Israel will be abandoned to their enemies until the woman, somebody say the woman, until the woman in labor gives birth and he will stand to lead his flock with the Lord's strength and in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God for he will be highly honored around the world and he will be the source of peace. He's saying, listen, you're going to be given over to your enemies until there is a woman, rather a virgin that's going to give birth and he's going to 
to come and be highly honored around the world and he's going to be the source of the peace that you're pursuing in your everyday life but listen you small village of Bethlehem he's going to be honored around the world but it's going to start there in Bethlehem it's Bethlehem so me preaching about Bethlehem it was Matthew though that I read to you it was Matthew that recognized and then recorded that Jesus being born in that Bethlehem manger, it was Matthew that recorded that and it was, he was relaying that this is the fulfillment of that prophecy that Micah said that you're just a little village. You're just a little city. You ain't got a Chick-fil-A yet. Now I'm preaching. Uh, right? He said, you, you small little city, out of you is going to come our Savior. And I'm here to tell you, Bethlehem was the birthplace. Matthew said, this is the fulfillment of what, what, what Micah said hundreds of years ago. This is the fulfillment of that prophecy about Bethlehem, that Bethlehem would be the birthplace. Amen? So, with that being said... Bethlehem is the birthplace of our hope, salvation. It's the birthplace of our healing, the birthplace of our deliverance from addiction. I would know. I, I know that Bethlehem is the birthplace for our restoration of our marriages and the birthplace for the deliverance for our children from trauma. It is the birthplace of the miracle working power of a God that can work in our lives. It is the birthplace of revival. It's the birthplace of the prophetic and the promises of God. Everything that was prophesied it was born in Bethlehem and Bethlehem was no doubt about it. It was a birthplace of everything that our fallen humanity would ever desire. Bethlehem was that birthplace. Now that we've got that established, we know what Bethlehem is. It's the birthplace. It's where he was born. Salvation came from the ethereal realm and into our reality. That's what Bethlehem was. It was a bridge between one world into the next. It was a bridge between eternity into time. It was significant, but it was where he was born. But now we must study and learn a little biblical. I'm going to teach a little bit. Right? No, no, no. I'm going to teach the Bible now. You ready? The law of first mention. So now we know that Bethlehem, what it, what it became. But we've got to figure out what it was before it became what it would become. The law of first mention, it's a guideline that some use for studying scripture. 
It's also used in the science of hermeneutics or the interpretation of the Bible. The law of first mention says that to understand a particular word in the Bible or a doctrine or teaching in the Bible, we must find the first place in scripture that word or doctrine is revealed. And then we have to study that passage. Why? Because the reasoning is that the Bible's first mention of a concept is the simplest, it's the clearest presentation. And doctrines are then more fully developed on that foundation of the first mention. So to fully understand an important or complex theological concept, Bible students are often advised to start with its first mention. Do we have any Bible students here? Amen. Bible college students here. Amen. Amen. Okay. Yeah. All right. Me too. I preached at a Bible college one time. I went to ABI. I think I told you this. I went to ABI, and I, I just pulled up. I was preaching revival somewhere, and I thought, I'd stop, I'll stop by a Bible college just so I can say that I've been to one. <laughs> Gives me more credibility, I think. So, And uh, I did, so I stopped there, and I went to the office of the main man. I went, and I sat there. He's like, what are you doing here? I said, I don't know. <laughs> just stopping in. Took a picture, told everybody I went to Bible college. Amen. But they will, they will often, they will often uh, tell them, you, get, you know, you got to study the first mention. Let's look at this. Like Genesis, the book of beginnings, that's what it means. The first book in your Bible. It's the book of beginnings. It's where many things began, many concepts. It's like a garden, listen, that naturally contains many first mentions. Planted like seeds that will blossom throughout your Bible. So here's what we must do. You've got to understand that including of these foundations are the doctrines or teachings and concepts of divine omnipotence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So you'll see the first mention of God's divine omnipotence. You'll see creation, paradise, heaven, marriage, family, sin, sacrifice, atonement, angels, prayer, judgment, covenant, relationship, government, death, burial, etc. All these seemingly complex ideologies and understandings, they can all point back to a first mention in Genesis, that book of beginnings, and you will watch what concepts have been planted like seeds in Genesis, that garden, and then it will blossom throughout your Bible, giving you amazing understanding. So here's what I've come to preach now. When Jesus even was asked about marriage, Jesus pointed to two first mentioned passages and said, haven't you read that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So when Jesus was asked that difficult question about the complexities of marriage, he said, you've got to go back to the beginning. You've got to go to the first mention where it was first relayed to humanity. So if you're going to understand its complexities in the here and now, I know people are messing it up right now. They're trying to use all kinds of different just mess, just mess. But we've got to go back if we're going to know how to move forward. 
the law of first mention. So with that being said, if we're going to understand some things in the word, there are times where you have to reference its first mention. So with that being said, I'm preaching about Bethlehem and I told you what it becomes, but where did it begin? So we go back to the Old Testament, rather, we go back to Genesis, and we're going to find Genesis' first mention. We know that Bethlehem becomes the birthplace where salvation came to us, hope comes to us, healing comes to us, deliverance comes to us, and that Bethlehem became the bridge between two. We understand that, but where did it begin? Well, if you read, you'll find that in Genesis 48 and 7, in reference to the law of first mention, it says this, and as for me, who's me? It's actually Jacob that is talking to his son Joseph. He says, as for me, when I, was, when I came from Padan, Rachel, that was, his, that was his high school sweetheart. Rachel died by me in the land of Canaan in the way. And yet there was a little way to come to Ephrath. And he said, I buried her there in the way of Ephrath. And so now Jacob is relaying to his son Joseph because Joseph had been through some pretty harsh stuff. Life had not treated him right. But God had a plan for Joseph. He'd been lied on. He'd been sold into slavery. His brothers did him dirty. They turned their back and sold him into all this stuff. Potiphar's wife tried to kiss him when he wasn't looking. And he said, I ain't having none of that. But Jacob, when he got older, he came to Joseph. He said, as for me, you know what, Joseph? I know you've been through some stuff. I know you've had life mistreat you. But he said, as for me, I, I went through some stuff as well. And he said, you know your mom, Rachel? I had to go work for her daddy for seven years and ended up working 14 years. And then I earned the right to be able to marry her. And I, I worked because they kissed on the first date. Did you know that? That's Bible. They kissed on the first date. He loved her that much, but he said, Joseph, listen, as I was journeying on the way to Ephrath, as I was journeying, as I was traveling that faith journey, he said, I had to, your mother died by me in the way. And he said, I had to, when there was yet a little way to come to Ephrath, I buried her there in the way to Ephrath. And then he says, pull that verse up. I buried her there in the way of Ephrath. Watch that last look. The same is Bethlehem. Can I tell you, before Bethlehem ever became the birthplace, the womb between two worlds, can I tell you the first mention of its name, it was a place where a man had buried his love. I'm here to tell somebody before it ever became a birthplace, it was a burial place. It was somewhere he had to bury something. And I'm telling you, before it ever 
never became a birthplace. It was where somebody had been buried. So let me say it like this. The burial place becomes the birthplace. This is the foundation of the first mention of that city called Bethlehem. And just watch now. And let's go to the New Testament now. Just as the grave where Jesus was buried after he died on Calvary. Three days later, that place becomes a womb that births the resurrection power and new life. Let me tell you, before there will ever be new life, a birthing of a Savior, there must be a burying of something. Mm. Wow. So with Jesus... That womb of resurrection power. It was first a tomb. Then it became a womb three days later. Now, I don't want this to get too crazy deep. Because that's not where I'm going. But you have to understand that this is the first mention of Bethlehem and it becomes a concept and a principle in your Bible that the burial places like Bethlehem becomes the birthplace. And this also applies not only to Jesus and his death and the power of his resurrection. It's not just Jacob burying his wife and the exact place where he buried something that died. That same place that died became some, it's the same place where something brand new was brought into the world. But it applies to our salvation because if you look Romans 6 and 4, we understand that the Bible said therefore watch now therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the father even so we we also should walk in the newness of life for we have been planted together in the likeness of his death somebody shout his death and we shall also in the likeness we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Watch what he said. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Christ, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that we henceforth, we should not serve sin. Verse seven says, for he that is dead is freed from sin. You hear what Paul said to the Roman church? He said, when you go down in that glowing tub, when you go down in that glowing blue tub of water, that is a burial place for we are buried with him in baptism and what are you burying we're burying that old man because he's dead he's gone and we've got to get rid of the body I'm here to tell somebody we preached about it last night we got to bury the bones but let me tell you the same place that is the burial plus spot it's also the birthplace of something brand new 
So you got to take that old man. It's not enough just to say, I'm sorry, forgive me of my sin. No, you got to drag that old man and you've got to bury the body of sin. You've got because that burial place like Bethlehem is also the birthplace. It's biblical. Watch this now. Because when Jesus is now talking to a man who is religious, has faith, he's a believer, he's been living and going to a certain church all his life, comes to Jesus by night and has a few questions. And Jesus is happy to oblige him. John 3 and 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee. Because this guy, he was saying, Man, nobody can do the miracles that thou doest except God be with him. He's like, Listen, there's something up with you, and I know it. There's something. He, he, he was admitting, There's something going on in your church ain't going on in my church. He said it. I didn't. But John 3, 3, Jesus almost seemingly ignores him and says, Jesus answered and said unto him, verily, verily, which means truly, truly. It's putting emphasis. You better listen to what I'm about to say. That's what Jesus was saying. Verily, verily. I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And he starts his terminology about being born again. And then Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? No, not on your life. That doesn't work. And Jesus goes on to elaborate John 3 and 5. He answers, verily, verily, I say unto thee, here's how we are born again. It is broken down into two, two, two components. He said, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom. And once again, the burial place becomes a womb between two worlds. And I'm here to tell you today that he said, if you're going to be born again, you've got to be born of the water. Wait a minute. Paul said it's a burial place. Paul said, you've got to take that crucified life and you've got to bury that that old man. But what is it? Is it a burial place or it is a birthplace? I'm here to tell you it's both. So that when you go down in this water to wash away every sin, you're going to bury that old man. But that's going to be the birthplace of a brand new life, of a brand new marriage, of a brand new hope, of a brand new peace. Somebody, you've got to understand that water is a womb between two worlds. I've watched people go down in that water crippled and come out of that water whole. I've watched people go in that water a drug dealer and then come out a brand new man leading. Oh, God. I've watched abusive fathers go in that water and I've watched them come. Oh, God help me. People that thought they had it all together but their lives were falling apart. That water became a womb between two.
two worlds. But if you are not burying in baptism that old life, that old man, then there is no new birth. It's not just you acknowledge his general atonement for whosoever will, but you have to apply this first mention of Bethlehem's understanding to your world and understand, yes, when I repent, when you are, watch what the Bible says. Watch this. Second Corinthians five and 17. I got this to you late. I don't know if you got it, but I'll, I'll read it anyways. Paul wants, hey, there it is. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, how do you get in Christ? The Bible said, for as many as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That means the only way to get in Christ is through the water. But he says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things. Notice the terminology. Old things. No, not that one. Old things are that's the same terminology that we still use to this day. We lose a loved one and we want to be very respectful. We say, we don't say, oh, they kicked the bucket. No, you don't say that. What do you say? They passed. He said, listen, old things are passed away. That's why they need a burial. Because the first part of grieving, I just did a whole message on grieving and loss. Because we've got all kinds of widows in our churches, in our church back in Colorado Springs. And, and the, you know what the first part of, of grieving is? Denial. So if you repent of your sin, but you don't bury that old man, you're stuck in one part of grieving. Denial. And that's where a lot of modern day Christians, they acknowledge the sin. Some don't even do that. But then you acknowledge the sin. But once you acknowledge the sin, but you don't bury the old man, you are stuck and cannot move forward in your faith. So here's what we need to do. Those old things that are passed away, you've got to take them to a watery grave of baptism. And it is when you are in Christ, those old things are passed away. And all things, he said all all things, not some things. He said all things become new. So I'm here to tell you today, if you've never been to a watery grave of baptism and washed away all your sins, Paul said it like this once again in Romans. Notice his terminology, and I'll try to, I'll try to get through this. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified but it wasn't enough for it to die you've got to bury it that's why I said we are buried with him in baptism but it is that 
burial place. It is that, 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 that water, that womb between two worlds that he said, you take that old, you drag that old man by the nap of its neck and you lead it to that water and say, you know what? I'm not going to be who I've always been. I'm not going to do the ways that I've always done. I'm going to be something brand new. It's you've got to walk across that bridge, that, that bridge between two worlds. You've got to walk across it. You can't just look at it. You can't just know about it because it's over there glowing saying you've got to do this today because your family depends on it. Your life depends on it. Hear me. The birth, the burial place. Now let me show you one more thing. I was going to show you a picture. I, do you have the picture of my, my uncle, me and my uncle? Okay. There it is. That was when I was young and handsome. I think I was 22 years old. I think, I'm not sure, because it says the date. You can do the math, I don't know. But that was my uncle. We called him Uncle Boswell. That wasn't his real name, and I have no idea why we called him it. But Uncle Boswell, he'd show up at the house all the time, and he was always drunker than skunk, man. He would show up and just, hey, where's your dad? And uh, Uncle Boswell wasn't really my uncle either. Now I'm having all kinds of revelation. (laughs) Old Uncle Boswell is really my cousin, but uh, he was so close to my dad, we called him Uncle. And Uncle Boswell, we loved Uncle Boswell. We loved the family. We, I used to go and stay at their house, and you know, I started hanging out with his kids that were my age, and we started partying together and hang out and just all kinds of crazy stuff. It was just kind of the family, what we did, just a big dysfunctional drunk family. That's what we were. But when I got in the church... And I walked that bridge. I, I, I went to that womb, that water, but the womb between two worlds. I, I went down in that water and I buried that old man that I was. I buried those addictions. I buried all of that because, listen, all of that was pee or death, confusion, just sin. But here's the deal. After about four years of being in church, Trying to live for God, him shaping me, making all things new. I decided one day that I was going to drive by their house. I hadn't seen them for about four years. I decided to drive by their house and I was, I was, I, I was actually teaching at the church. I, I started teaching at the church an end time Bible study. How many like end time stuff? All that scary stuff, you know, uh, is I had a big old chart from this guy named Irvin Baxter. And, uh, and the church knows, right? And I had this big old chart that was huge. It took up the whole back seat of my Cavalier. I'd put it in there. No, you can't ride with me. Irvin's going. And uh, I've got that big old Bible study chart. And that Bible study chart, when my pastor first gave it to me, it scared the fire out of me. Because he gave me two things that, I mean, messed with me when I first came into church. The first was a cassette tape that was hidden messages in rock music. And he said, whatever you do, don't listen to this before bed. I said, ah, I still was a little bit rebellious. All things hadn't become brand new just yet. And uh, so I listened to this tape right before bed. And I'm telling you, it scared me to death because they're playing records backwards and it's saying, you know, satanic 
verses out of the satanic Bible. I'm like, what? I was like, then it starts talking about Hotel California. Welcome to the hotel. I'm like, what? Then there was a Hotel California till 1969 became the first church of Satan. That's why they say in the song, that's why we haven't had that spirit here since 1969. Talking about the spirit of God because we made it the first church of Satan. And now every time I walk into Walmart and hear Hotel California, I start singing it, then repent because I realize what just happened. And it scared the fire out of me. But then he gave me a Bible study chart about the end of the world. I just wanted to get married. That's all. <laughs> but listen, that chart had pictures like the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation beast that had seven heads and 10 horns and leopards feet and wings and all this stuff. And I'm like, what? The pictures of it right there. I'm like, what is that? That's coming for me? <laughs> but then it started, it had a picture of the mark of the beast. And I'm not trying to make light, but I'm telling you where I was in my thought process when I'm coming into this, this whole church thing. And they got a picture of this dude talking about the mark of the beast. And he's like, white as a ghost. And he's got six, six, six on his forehead looking at me. That's in my back seat. Scared me to half to death. I get in my Cavalier, look in the rear view mirror. I see him like. <laughs> and it scared me. So I pulled up to my cousin's house. Uncle house, Boswell. And when I pulled up, they're like, Ryan, what are you doing? I said, what are you doing? They're all sitting out in the front yard with the car up on blocks. You know how they do. And uh, I said, hey, I've got some pictures I want to show you. So I got out the car. I said, give me a hand with this. And I, I brought it to him. I started flipping the chart and started going through. I did not really open the Bible. I just started flipping through the chart. And I showed him the beast with seven heads and ten horns. And I, I showed him the man with 666 in his forehead, the mark of the beast. And if you, if you don't take it, you're going to lose your head. And all. I, was, I was going through it and everything. And then I got to that last part. I was just skimming through it. Got to that last part. And it was talking about Jesus coming back for his church. All of a sudden, a girl starts to cry that was there. My cousin's girlfriend, he starts to cry. Or she starts to cry, rather. And as she's crying, I'm like, what's going on? She said, I didn't even know Jesus was coming back. I had no idea. And I said, well, you want to make sure you're right when he comes. Make sure you're saved when he comes. Like, well, what do we got to do? They had no idea. I said, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what it takes. And I told, I brought them to Acts 2.38. I said, well, what I know is that the Bible said you've got to repent. You've got to ask God to forgive you for all your sins. You didn't even realize you were committing because you never even knew. Paul said, I, I was alive once until the law came. He didn't even, Paul didn't even know he was a sinner until somebody said, hey. 
So I said, now, now that you know that you have sin, you have to repent. You have to ask God to forgive you and be wanting and willing to turn your life around. But then watch Acts 2.38, pull it up. Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized every one of you. Peter did not say, eh, eh, repent, and then you, 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 not you, 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 not you, you're a good person. You, 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 you. No, he said, every one of you must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for, watch, for the remission. That means total payment for, to, uh, to apply. It's a transactional term. It's already been paid for, but you got to send in the rebate. You, oh God. He said, for the remission and the total payment of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And then he goes on, for this promise is unto you, unto your children, all those that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. He was saying what Bethlehem was then. That's what Bethlehem is now. If it's a burial place for that old man, it's a birthplace for new birth, a new life. So Uncle Boswell's like, well, what are we doing here then? So we loaded up two cars full of people. It wasn't the one on blocks. We got in my car and we got in another. And we got and we drove. And on the way, I called my pastor. I said, Pastor, I said, listen. I got two carloads of people that are ready to have their sins washed away. They're ready to bury that old man and have a new life begin. I'm, I was like, I didn't really say that like that to my pastor, but that's how I said that to you that I said it to my pastor. I said, pastor, I got two carloads of people and I'm, I, I scared the fire out of them. They're ready to be baptized. And all he said was, Make sure you use the name. And they go all the way under. So I took them to the church. And I got about 10 pictures I could have gave them and showed you. All my cousins, all their girlfriends. But I gave you the picture of Boswell. Because Boswell, when he came stumbling out of the house to hear what I had to say, he was drunk as a skunk. But I'm here to tell you, he still made up his mind. And he went not to some, uh, I mean, heated baptism that I wish we had had. Sometimes we had to break the ice on that horse trough that we had. Y'all know what a horse trough is in Grand Rapids? It's the equivalent of a manger. Yeah, yeah. We we took we sometimes we had to break that water. It was freezing cold. But he said, Oh, that don't matter. And his old drunk self climbed in that tank. And I'm here to tell you, we began to pray, tears began to flow down his face, and I put him under in the name of Jesus. He came out sober, and we called him Boswell going in, but I called him James Near coming out. Hey, somebody, it was a burial place at what? But he became a brand new man when he came out of that water. 
my God. He sends gone on to be with the Lord. But oh, Boswell, oh, Boswell, you see that picture? He grabbed a hold of me. He grabbed a hold of me and he wouldn't let me go. And I'm freezing cold. You can see it in my face. But he wouldn't let go. Because he said, Ryan, I never knew. I never knew. But he buried that old man. If we can get the musician. Yeah, you're already there. Go ahead. Just, just give me some notes so I know you're there. That's all. We ain't got to sing nothing yet. Just. But that's a lot of what Paul did. He used this terminology to get us acquainted with death. Because a lot of times we don't like to deal with those difficult emotions and grieving. We don't. We don't. But it's a part of the process that something, some part of me has to die. Some part of me has to be buried. So who I'm called to be comes alive. But notice, notice, I want to read you just a few more scriptures. I'm going to need somebody's help. I'm, I'm looking for somebody. Trevor, amen. You're my main man. You're, you, amen. Amen. How many love Trevor Lund? Amen. Amen. Because when Romans, he said that we are buried with him in baptism and you bury that old man that is crucified. He also used it in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. He said that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Colossians 3 and 9, he says, lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. And have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. This whole terminology that Paul was referring to was a very pointed terminology that the then known world, Rome in particular, they would have understood what Paul was saying when he was talking about the old man, the body of sin, because... In Roman lore, there was a punishment called necrocratic confinement. And it was a torture that's not talked about as much as crucifixion. I almost made up a word. Crucifixion. But this necrocratic confinement in the imagery that these words pull out. The necrocratic confinement was literally where they would take a man who is guilty of, of, of heinous crimes, murder, rape, whatever it was, they would take a corpse. And what they would do is they would attach the bodies.
and what they would do with those bodies attached, the criminal would have to live the rest of his life with that rotting flesh that putrefying flesh would begin to creep into that living tissue. Infection would begin to set in and you would have to bear the weight of that body, what they would call the body of sin. So many people, they acknowledge their need for a savior. But still, you're carrying around the weight of that body of sin. And you're trying to be a good father. You're trying to be a good husband. You're trying to be a good person. But still, that corpse, that old man is still attached to you. So what Paul was saying Lie not one, don't lie to yourselves. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have, you have put off this old man with his deeds. He was saying you can't keep living the way that you're living because if that corpse, that dead living or that dead flesh was still attached to you, it'll eventually slowly keep taking and taking from you until your family's gone until your job is gone until your peace is gone and you continue to carry the weight and that's why in Romans 7 and 24 he says oh wretched man that I am who shall deliver me from this body of death? He realized who he was. And he said, who? Who is going to deliver me from that body of death that I've been carrying around all this time? I'll tell you. Jesus made a way through the water and it's when you go into that water it's when you make a decision to go into that water you're going and you may have that body of sin still attached to you but when you get to that water <laughs> you bring it to the burial place and you bury that body of death do you really want to live carrying the weight of what you've been carrying? Living without the peace that he's promised you? I know we sang it, that he'll walk me through the water. But before he walks you through the water like a trial, he needs to walk you to the water. So I'm asking you today, mother, father, Ma'am, young lady, I, I don't know where you are today, but I do know what the Bible says about Bethlehem. It was, yes, a birthplace for something brand new. But first, something had to be buried. So if you're in this house and you have never had your sins washed away like Acts 22 and 16, I ask you the same question 
that Acts 22 in verse 16 asks us. It says, why tarriest thou? What are you waiting on? He said, get up, arise, and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Somebody right now, I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to hear the echo of this preacher that is preaching the word, just like it said, why are you waiting? What are you waiting for? Do you want to continue this way? Why arise? be baptized so if you're in this house and you have never been baptized in the name of Jesus you've never had your sins washed away you've never buried that old man in his deeds today is your day so I want you to stand right now all over this house you do me a favor you've got people all around you on every side we're not going to embarrass anybody we're not going to we're not we're not going to shame you in any way but I want you to look over to your neighbor because you probably came with whoever's to your right or to your left and I want you to ask them I want you to talk to them just a just a moment and say listen have you ever been baptized have you ever buried that old man And then ask them, what would stop you today from dealing with that sin? What would stop you from being delivered from that body of death? Don't you want to be whole? Don't you want to be healed? Don't you want your marriage put back together in a way that it cannot be put asunder? Somebody, I want you to ask them that right now. And now I'm going to be, I'm going to be brave. I'm going to be brave. I'm going to be brave. I'm going to stand right up here. And I'm going to ask you, hear me, I'm going to ask you. If you've never been baptized in the name of Jesus, it's not, I know it's a little nerve-wracking. I know it might be a little scary. But you're not going to do it alone today. I know we got clothes or something. We got, we got clothes that you don't got to get your clothes wet. It's warm. But listen, I'm going to ask you right now, if you have never been born of the water, burying that old man, but you say nothing will stop me today from changing our lives around. I want you to, I want you to be brave. I want you to step out of your seat and I want you to come down this aisle and stand with me right now. Don't leave me down here alone. My man. My man. My man. Awesome. 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 Who else? Come on. There's somebody else. Don't let them go down in the water alone. Don't let them go down in that water alone. Come on. There's somebody else that God's dealing with your heart right now. And we're just going to wait for a little bit longer. There we go. That's my sis right there. Come on. Who else? 
God's dealing with hearts right now. Don't leave here carrying the weight. Don't leave here letting that dead weight hold you down. Come on, who else? There we go. Sis? Come on, there's one more person I feel. There's one more person that you just need to just make the decision. Today's the day where we're going to borrow, we're going to bury that depression. We're going to bury all the questions. Am I worth it? Come on. One more. I, I just I just feel it in the Holy Ghost that there's one more person. You're wondering, is it me? Should I do it? Maybe not today. No, no, no. You're not promised tomorrow. Please don't wait till tomorrow. Because today your life needs to change. Okay. Okay. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on. Let's just lift our hands and thank God for what he's about to do in this house.